How are we all doing? Good. How do you follow Mike Betts? Wasn't that a wonderful last session? I've been really praying over the last two days while I've been here, and I've got a presentation and I've got a message, but I felt the Lord just prodding me today. So we're going to go through this, but I really want to, I really want to try and give us a prod. Is that okay? A, a Holy Ghost prod. You, do you know what I'm on about when I say that? I, I want to kind of disturb us a little bit. I want to try and, I know you guys are so far out of your comfort zone already. I mean, I spoke to Anis earlier and she's like packed her house in anticipation of a move to London. Um, and I've spoke to some of you who are going to uh, different nations around the world, which is just incredible. And you're here because you've got a desire or some kind of resonation that God may be calling you to plant a church or you're involved in a church plant. And I, if I'm honest, I feel like I'm sitting in a room full of giants because I am. I want to let that drop. Hebrews, Hebrews 11 speaks of heroes of faith, doesn't it? And we read about these incredible heroes of faith who went down in history having not received the promise. And today I'm looking out at a room and I just see heroes of faith. Heroes of faith. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're a hero of faith. It's true. You know, in all honesty, I'm learning so much from being with you. But let me tell you a little bit about myself. It's such a privilege to be here. My name's Clyde. I'm married to a lovely girl called Becca. Uh, here today with Sherrod as well. Sherrod is one of the elders at our church. And uh, we lead Victory Church in Cumbran. We're a church that's seen a move of God. We've seen a massive move of the Holy Spirit. Um, like you, I've been party to God doing some miracles and been invited to the party and I'm sure that we've all got different kind of experiences of God doing stuff and we feel like the plus one you know he invites us to the party and we get to be the plus one and that's so exciting isn't it and I could I could t keep you here all day with stories of healing but what I want to talk about tonight is expecting a catch I want to try and stir up our spirits to believe that in the, in the mission that God is calling us to, in the, in the incarnational lives that most of us or all of us are going to live, that actually that story, that, 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 that text in John 1 where, where it says that Jesus moved into the neighborhood. And as I've spoken to some of you, I've, I've heard stories of you moving into neighborhoods, moving into communities, moving into different nations even, and, and being a light and be, bringing hope to those nations. But I want to try and add something else, and that is, I really want you to see a big catch. And the truth is, we heard earlier, whether it's one or a hundred or a hundred thousand that's kind of not the issue. Let's not try and get hung up on, on numbers here tonight. Let's, let's not get hung up on that because, you know, God's maths is different to our maths, isn't it? We tend to look and think, oh, you know, they've got the biggest church, so they must be having the most successful ministry. But that's not always true. And actually, there are many examples where, where big churches aren't actually that fruitful when it comes to real salvation. You know, my heart, if you cut me open, I bleed for the lost. And uh, as we heard in the, in the first session this morning, we heard about the three groups of people, group one and two, uh, your team. But then what about those people that are going to be added into our church plants? You know, the local church is the hope of the world, Bill Heibel said. That's what he said in his great book, Courageous Leadership. And, you know, the truth is every single one of us is called to bring hope to people. We just went through a little bit of a rebrand on our church and tried to kind of get a grasp of what God was saying to us over the last three-year journey. And uh, we came up with this statement, we exist to bring glory to God and hope to people. Glory to God and hope to people. Let me tell you a little bit about my story. So about 15 years ago, I was down in a place called Boscombe in Bournemouth. Anyone from Bournemouth? No? Oh, good, because I'm about to slate it. No, I'm not. 
I was sleeping on a park bench in Bournemouth. And I awoke with a boot in my chest. As a gentleman that was on his way to work in his business suit, living a life that I could only dream of living, shunned me as the scum of the earth. I was the person that shouldn't have lived in Bournemouth. I didn't even live in Bournemouth. I didn't have a house. I was homeless. I was a drug addict. I spent most of my, my nights hanging around with girls who worked the streets and other, other guys who were raising money to get their next fix. Most nights ended with me laying on a park bench or sleeping in the NCC car park there in Boscombe. That's where I was. Where were you? I want you to remember that moment before you met Jesus. You know, so many people say, well, I grew up in church, and they can't remember that, that conversion moment, that moment when it all became clear, when the, when the glass fell over their eyes, like at the opticians, when that revelation moment happened and you saw Jesus for who he was for the first time. But I can remember that time because I remember how dark life was, how, how battered and broken life was, how hopeless I was as a human being. My family had given up on me. My younger brother had given up on me. In fact, the only hope that was offered to me at that point came through a young girl called Laura Garrett. She works for Youth for Christ. She's married now. She has a different surname. But she was in my brother's class at school. And she would encourage my brother that there's hope for everyone in the world. And she took my brother, my brother was so battered by the lifestyle that I was living in and so broken down by it, she took him to a summer camp. And in this summer camp, my brother had this encounter with God and he, got, he, he just got this revelation of, of what God can do in a situation. He already knew Christ, he'd already been baptized, but he was at this camp. And the preacher called people forward and he said, we want to just pray for you. And my brother went forward and he said, I don't need prayer for myself. I need prayer for my brother. And Laura was standing next to him at that time. And this guy came over and began to pray and began to prophesy over my brother's life. My brother didn't know this, but I was in prison at the time. My family didn't yet know about that, but I'd ended up in Dorchester prison for the second prison sentence of my life. It seemed like I was going around in circles. I was depressed. I was anxious. I was about eight and a half stone, like six foot one, not good luck, right? And to a watching world, I was the statistic. But God has a habit of making mess into a message. God has this habit of taking the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. God has this habit of taking those who are so far from him and doing something beautiful, and writing them into his story. You see, we are here today because we're part of an unfolding story that God is unfolding. There's another page to his book today, and there's going to be another one tomorrow. And the next day, hopefully, if we get there, there's going to be another page as well. But the truth is, tomorrow, we don't know yet we're even going to get that day. I was at a point of life and death. I overdosed one night just before going to prison and I remember in this moment of being knocked out and unconscious and whatever was going on in my body, I saw all of my family standing around me in this kind of, whatever you want to call it, this knocked out state. Came round with someone slapping me in the face and chucking some water on me. My life was hopeless. But the truth is you don't have to be in a hopeless state like that to need the Lord. Every one of us knows that the one thing we were missing was Jesus. You see, my story only serves to highlight the goodness of Jesus. Do you know how good he is? Can you remember just how good he is? Or is he only good because of our programs and because of our calling and because of what he wants to do in our lives and because of where maybe he wants to take us? Do you just remember that Jesus is so good that he is worthy of honor, that he is worthy of praise? And without that name, Jesus, you, you should be dead. You should be six foot under. You should be buried in a grave. There should be no hope at all. There should be no life at all because Jesus is the giver of life and the forgiver of all of our sin. And he came and he died on an old wooden cross so that one day 
My brother would be standing at the front of a convention with about 4,000 other people and a prophetic word would be given that though your brother is in darkness, the Lord's light is coming upon him. Three days after that prophetic word, I sat in a prison cell on a cold step as a prison chaplain gave me a New Testament, a Gideon's New Testament. I was outraged. I thought, what on earth is going on here? Why on earth would I want to read a Bible when I'm in prison? But I kept the book. He gave me a testimony book as well. And along with that, he delivered the news that a friend of mine had committed suicide. He came to my cell to tell me that another friend had lost his life because of drugs and alcohol. Too many people are dying out there, church. Too many people are burning and dying and going to hell. And we have our meetings, we have our gatherings, we get hyped up in our worship, and I love all that, but that's the inside. What I want to talk to you about is the outside. I want to remind us just how dark it is out there, just how, just how imperative it is that we treat every day as the day of salvation. So I come and I began to read this dusty old book. That's what I thought it was. Not this one. This is a much better one. <laughs> but I began to read this book in a prison cell. And I read about Jesus. I read about this guy who went around and just did good. He was just so generous. He was so faithful. He was so loving. His character was impeccable. He was never agitated. He was so rested, as we heard earlier. He was a forgiver of all human sin. And I got to the bit where he died on a cross. And I remember thinking, if this stuff is true, then it can change our lives. And you know when you're in prison, you don't have a lot to do. I used to look out the prison window and I used to just, I couldn't wait to get out again. And as crazy as this sounds, I couldn't wait to take drugs again because it's all that I knew. I couldn't wait for that moment when I'd be released from the prison gate. I knew what I was going to do. I had my plan. I was going to get straight back to Bournemouth. I was going to go straight down to my dealer's house and I was going to get drugs again. That was my plan. But the Lord had another plan. I want to tell you, everyone that we meet, the Lord has a plan for. They have a plan. They set out every day thinking what they're going to do. But God has a, this amazing way of interrupting our lives. Father, would you interrupt us? Would you teach us what it is to be interrupted? from our programs, from our plans? Would you teach us that you are looking to interrupt people's ways every day? Holy Spirit, I pray now that as I share that your word will, will take root in hearts, but that it will, it will form character, it will form action, and it will become life and light in the world to which we're sent, in Jesus' name. So there I am in prison and I turned one day to Psalm 40 in response to a testimony book. And I read that, those wonderful verses. They're so beautiful. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined unto me and he heard my cry. He heard my cry. What was your cry? Where has your cry gone? Because I stand here today because he heard my cry. And there are people out there today, even in Malaga or wherever we are, and they're crying out. They're crying out for hope. They're crying out for life. And we will become the interruption that leads them there. For me, it was that prison chaplain. It was that book. It was that moment where I was pointed to Psalm 40. And he came unto me. And he put a new song in my mouth. Even praise to our God. Many will see fear and trust in the Lord. And right there in a prison cell, even though I didn't realize it, God was calling me and saying, I'm not only going to change your life, I'm going to forgive all of your sin, but I'm going to use you to bring change in other people as well. It's the greatest privilege on earth. It's better than any job opportunity. It's better than anything we can put on our CVs. It's the best party we can be invited to. 
You know, do you get excited when you get invited to parties? Morris said to us today, he said to me and Cher this morning, he said, let's hang out tonight. And me and Cher were like, yeah, let's hang out with Morris. It's going to be great. But I can tell you better than any party is when you're invited to see salvation in the hearts of men and women. There is nothing that I long for and pray for more than, Lord, would you keep letting us see people saved? Would you keep letting us witness what you can do in a human heart? Would you keep letting us see that, that, that giving birth moment, that moment where, where the deadness in someone's eyes goes and you just see them filled with life? Have you had any of those moments? Have you had those moments where you're talking to someone and all of a sudden you see the lights come on? Man, I live for the moments. Let me look at a scripture with you. 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 5, I think it's here. This is a great scripture. Is this okay? You alright? Good. This is what the scripture says, and there's so many we could have chosen, but this is one of my favorites. For our gospel, our good news, did not come to you in word only, but also in power. Let's just stop there a minute. He says, our gospel, our, our good news, our message... So there were me- there's many messages that people encounter every day, isn't there? You know, we're living in the 21st century. You pick up your phone uh, in the morning. Straight away, you are bombarded with messages. This generation that we're a part of, this, this Gen Z, Gen X, Gen Y, whatever you want to call it, however you want to define it, let's just be honest, we are bombarded with messages. Yet in the midst of this, we carry this, this good news. We are ambassadors. We are standing in the gap. We are, we are bringing a, a, another message. And to many people, it can be like, another message, I'm so confused. And this is the heart of what I want to get to you today, that, that this isn't about the X, Y, Z. There are much more accomplished people who can teach you about the X, Y, Z than me. I hopefully know some of the X, Y, Z. I've been at Bible college. I've studied. I study hard. But... The main thing that I want to do in life is communicate the ABC. Because the truth is, we've got to give birth. We've got to see people be, be born again by the Spirit of God and then, and then grown up by the XYZ. Do you know what I mean? Like we heard the XYZ over the last two days, right? There's some been amazing teaching and amazing stuff. But let's not forget the ABC. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power. And then he says this, and in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. Our gospel brings assurance. In a world that has no assurance of anything, gender fluidity, sexual fluidity, men are being bombarded with pornography, They're chained up with addiction. They have no assurance. They're empty. People out there are empty. They're looking for a fix. And it could be not drugs. It could be so many different things. It could be success. It could be power. It could be fame. It could be so many different things. But but there's a hole in all of our lives that only Jesus can fill. And Paul says, our gospel... It was so unlike the other messages. It was so different. It, it, it stood out with this, with this power, this, this audacious boldness that, that dared to stand at the beautiful gate and lift this guy up, Peter and John, and, and say, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give you in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. This audacious boldness that, that walks out of an upper room that was just bursting with energy and power onto this scene where they're being mocked and just stands up and boldly declares that you crucified this Jesus and you're, you're, you're broken and you're lost and it's this audacious, powerful boldness that comes out and 3,000 people ended up getting saved and added to the church. This boldness that took towns and villages and cities and, and saw lepers healed and, and, and laid hands on the sick and saw disciples emerge and, and house churches planted and, and these just explosions of the Holy Spirit wherever they went. This, this courageous boldness that came upon the church, it wasn't in word only. 
It wasn't theoretical. It wasn't just, I read it in a textbook. That's not a textbook, that's the Bible. But it wasn't just, I read it in a textbook. It was more than I heard Morris or, or Mike or Clyde talk about it. No, this was, this was powerful. This was bold. This was like, we're going to show you who this Jesus is by the way we live, by what happens when we're around. Do you remember that little text where it says, they looked on and they saw that they had been with Jesus. What was it they saw? Was it that they were kind of locked up in a prayer closet? I don't think so. I think there was something magnetic about these followers of Jesus. I think there was something powerful, something audacious. There was something so different about them because of the gospel, the good news that they were carrying to a broken world. They were bringing hope to human brokenness. Our message is a message for broken humanity. People are broken. Let's just flick on it. Our gospel is a gospel of power. Our gospel is a gospel of power. Sherrod and myself are on the plane here. And uh, have you ever done that thing where you flick your phone off airplane mode mode when you're not meant to? (laughs) This is confession time. So, So I flicked my phone off before I was meant to. And this notification popped up. And it was a young girl called Lou. I want to tell you about Lou. One of the gentlemen who came through our rehab program, he wasn't doing so well, he's struggling, and he's going through a pretty messy situation. He's an alcoholic, he's in and out of hospital. He's struggling. His girlfriend moved up to be near him. She moved up from Rotherham area to a place called Abertillary. And he was going through these difficult situations. She had no Christian faith. She had no understanding of the gospel or anything like that. But she comes with four or five kids in tow. And she moves to the area to follow this addicted, alcoholic husband. Who's trying to get his life straight. She rolls up and rocks up in church. A few months ago now. And she hears the ABC of the gospel. It was before the sermon. It was, as Morris always says, at the notices. It's not quite at the notices, but I know what he means. But in our services, we just throw the net out and we just very quickly, very succinctly give the ABC of the gospel. 2,000 years ago, 2,000 miles away, Jesus Christ came and he died on a cross. And by doing that, he was throwing a rope called hope from heaven. Because every one of us has a destination when we leave earth. It's going to be heaven or hell. And we get to choose by whether we grab the rope of hope. The rope of hope is attached to our life and it gets drawn in every day because God has a big winch in heaven. You know, like a boat being pulled into shore. Isn't that a beautiful picture? And he's just bringing us in closer and closer. And that's why it's okay not to be perfect as a Christian. Because he's working on our character day to day. But it starts with a moment when the rope comes out to sea because we're all lost at sea. It was something like that. And on this day I said, just close your eyes, we're going to pray, and I want to invite you to grab a hold of this rope called hope. Because 2,000 years ago Jesus died on a cross, and he was rose from the dead by the glory of the Father because he loved you so much, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. And that day, I don't remember who else, but Lou's hand went up like that. And she gave her life to Christ with tears in her eyes. But not only that, alongside her, three of her children gave their lives to Christ as well. So they begin this journey of getting to know who God is, getting to know what the church is about. And I was so moved because Sherrod and I were on the plane and this notification pops up and it says, Pastor, I don't, I don't, I don't know anything about the Bible. Is there a group I could join Is there someone who could teach me, who could help me get to know this God because he's working in me? And we looked at each other and we said, wow, what a privilege. What a privilege. You see, there's a great need for discipleship, isn't there? But what I'm talking about here is starting the journey, the seed getting planted, the, the moment where someone just receives Jesus And sometimes they'll be in our church and we'll get to see them again. Other times we may never see them again because we may lead them to Christ on the street and then we may lose contact with them. But is it any less real? 
You see, if we trust the Lord, then we've got to look after the, I don't like this term too much, but the children that he kind of entrusts us with in the sense of people that we're there, people that we lead to Christ, but we have to trust him with that as well. And that's the great tension, isn't it, between like evangelists and the church. Like the pastors are all like, oh, but you've got to look after all these converts. Like stop getting people saved because like they're not getting discipled. And then the evangelist is like, no, keep getting them saved. Keep getting them saved. Keep getting them saved. And there's a great tension there, isn't there? And a few years ago, someone said to me, Clyde, don't leave babies on the doorstep. And how true that is. So what I'm not saying to you today is that we should just kind of recklessly get people saved and push people to a point of decision. I'm not into that at all. But what I am into is joining with the Holy Spirit on mission. And anyone can do that. You don't have to be an Ephesians 4.11 evangelist. You just have to be equipped. You just have to be bold enough to step out and to share the gospel through your story. Because your story, no one can argue with. And once they don't argue with your story, then they'll realize that it's his story that's birthed your story. And they'll become interested in his story. If you go to the average 21st century person and start talking about the Bible, what are they going to say to you? Probably, it's not going to be received too well. But they can't argue with a changed life. I know that not everyone in here has got stories of crime and addiction. But I promise you, your testimony is just as powerful if you know how to use it. There's a lovely little passage where Jesus is being arrested. He's being taken off, isn't he? And Peter grabs his sword out of his reef and he cuts the soldier's ear off. Do you love that story? Is it just me? I'm just like, Jesus... I'm just like, Jesus, you're just amazing. Like, I'd have been like, go, Peter. But Jesus is like, he touches the ear and he heals the soldier. Peter needed to learn how to use the sword. It's not the only application, but I'm using that application. We've got to know how to use our story. We've got to know how to use the gospel effectively in our daily lives because it's a gospel of power. But we can misuse power, can't we? Our gospel of power can be misused because if it's about us and not about Jesus, if it's about how many miracles that we want to see so that we can kind of say, oh, look how many miracles we're seeing or look how many salvations we're seeing, then there's a big problem there because suddenly it's become about me or about you and not about Jesus. And actually, everything is about this guy called Jesus because he's incredible and without him, we can do nothing. Jesus has saved our lives, guys. He's saved our lives. And some of you are looking at me and you're like, wow, yeah, yeah, I know that. No, listen, he saved your life. You should burn in hell for all eternity. Like, seriously. And if you don't understand that, please pray for revelation before you do anything else. Because he that has been forgiven much, loves much. We've got to understand the gravity, the weight of the the wrath of God that was on us. We were objects of wrath. But now, we're sons of pleasure and daughters of pleasure. And sometimes we love all that fluffy stuff, but we forget where he's bought us from. I love all the fluffy stuff, you know, teach me your ways, O Lord, yeah, you're son of God, yeah, but I was an object, I mean, goodness me, the things I did, the things I watched, the places I've been, the things I had to make restitution for, goodness me, and it's so easy, isn't it, to sit here and think, oh yeah, he was so bad, like, yeah, But Lord, I'm okay. No, you're not okay. (laughs) Seriously. Let this drop. He that has been forgiven much loves much. Power comes out of love. Great manifestations of his power happen when we love much. And I've seen this time and time again, the compassion that God gives us for situations. I think we need to pray for so much more love for our communities, for our towns, for our villages. I think we need baptisms, not just of power. I think we need baptisms of love. 
We need to love people to the end. We need to be able to see the gold in people and to stop kind of grading people and, and kind of putting those people over there because they could never really attain to the standard that, that we attain to because they haven't got the education or they haven't got this or they haven't got that or there's not enough money in the bank. Listen, God doesn't look at people the way we do. He sees mess and he sees a message where we see mess. Do you understand what I mean? And the very people sometimes that we're writing off, God's trying to write in. God's trying to include in his story. And I wonder how many times we miss out on so many great people being a part of our mission because we're scared to take a risk. I want to introduce you to another guy. I wish I had his photo, but I don't. His name's James. And me and him joke because about, eight, about a year ago now, he came into Hope Center. We run rehabs and supported housing for people, and we do lots of things. I can talk to you more about that if you're interested. But we help people who are very, very broken. And he came in, and I remember pulling up in my car to the center. And honestly, the sight before me, I thought, that guy looks about 90. What is he doing here? I thought, he's way too old. He had this big beard down here. His clothing was just messy, and his hair was matted, his skin was crinkled. And if you saw him, you'd have, you'd have honestly thought at least 70. I thought 90, because I'm an evangelist, so I like to make it sound better. <laughs> but you get the picture, he looks so messy. I remember thinking, goodness me. Lord, if you can do something here, whoa. Whoa. And the first day I met him, I thought, you're going to last about a day. I just, you know, in those situations where you just think, man, this is tough. A few days later, I went back to the center. He'd had a shave. He'd cut his hair. He had some fresh clothes on, sprayed with a bit of uh, cologne. And he was looking pretty fresh. And I began to see that so often we judge the outward appearance But God's not calling us to look at the outward appearance. He's calling us to see with spiritual eyes and hear with spiritual ears what the Spirit is saying about these people that we're going to minister to. And whether you're in a coffee shop here in Malaga or whether you're at the local school gate or whether you're at your workplace or wherever, we can just pray and say, Lord, would you give me spiritual ears and spiritual eyes so that I can see what you want me to see about these people that I'm going to meet today? Because, you know, the truth is every minute is a mission. Now, I really respect what Mike said. We need holiday and we need rest. Absolutely, 100%. That's rhythm, isn't it? But but in that, does the Lord stop speaking to us on holiday? No, it just may be that that season he wants to do something in us. Because he wants to do more through us. So be open to what the Holy Spirit is saying. And this guy, James, he, he came through and he began to get a hunger for God's word. And he's so funny. You know, after he'd been in the center about two months, he said, um, he said, Clyde, if you ever want me to teach you anything about the Bible, he said, I'm happy to sit down and mentor you. He's just one of them characters who's kind of like, you know. And, uh, and anyway, after eight months, he graduated from the program and he's been hanging around church and doing his stuff. And he's, he started Bible college in September. Now, this is the, this is the cool part. So he, he goes to Bible college, and the principal of the Bible college came to preach at our church two weeks ago. And over dinner in Nando's, I was speaking to this guy, and I was saying, how's James doing? And you know what he said to me? He said, Clyde, I cannot, I cannot believe, I cannot get my head around where he says he was, because he's just doing so incredibly well. And I thought, that's transformation. He's on a journey. He needs rough edges knocking off, like I do. I'll probably annoy you. You probably think, who is this guy? He's crazy. But we've all got rough edges to knock off, but we're all on a journey. And because God got involved in his story, he's no longer on the doorstep of boots in Leamington Spa sleeping with the council sending him eviction notices for being homeless. He's whole. He's rescued. He caught the rope of hope. And hope's going to pull him home. Do you know what I'm saying? 
God wants us all to see amazing stories of transformation in our own heart, but also through us. Because our gospel is a gospel of power. It can heal the sick. Our gospel heals the sick. Our gospel um, rescues people from the most dark situations because it's a gospel of power. Click on to the next one, please. It's a gospel of assurance. A gospel of assurance. Isn't there a beautiful thing when you know that you know that you know that you're saved? Did you, ever, did you ever have one of those moments where you sit in church and uh, the preacher gives the call and you think, should I put my hand up? <laughs> Do you know, like for the first year of getting saved, I was like, better put my hand up again. Because you're still working out that thing called assurance, aren't you? Yeah? This is why it's so important that we throw the net out. Because not everyone understands that they, their salvation is secure in Christ, that they've been forgiven and that the past has been forgotten. And by throwing the net out regularly in our gatherings or, or as we meet people individually, even if they're kind of newly saved, I still throw the net out. We have people that will put their hand up five or six times in a row and then they finally get it and they stop putting their hand up. And you're like, yeah, you're saved. <laughs> because we have to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. There's a, there's a cognitive process as well as a spiritual transformation. Let's not forget how powerful salvation is. It's the most powerful thing. It beats like healing of bodies, hands down. Salvation is like a dead part of you coming to life. Your spirit was dead in trespasses and sins, but now it's alive. Part of you that, that, was, that was defunct, it was bankrupt, it was broken, it was empty, and now it's alive. I always tell new Christians that. There was a part of you that I touched their stomach like that. I'm like, there's a part of you that was dead and it's now alive. And that's why when you read the Bible after getting saved, it opens up. Because you've got this spiritual openness now. And this is why we've got to throw the rope out. Because we open the door. And they may not be the full package. You know, people say, oh, but it's a decision. Yeah, it's a decision. It's opening the door. It's so important, I believe, that we give people that opportunity to make that decision so that they can have assurance in their own hearts and lives. Next one, please. Change lives. Our gospel is about changed lives. I don't need to remind you of this because this is why we're here, right? Are we here for a job? Are we here for a ministry? Or are we here to see lives changed? We're here to see lives changed. We're here to see the glory of God come. And, and what's the greatest glory that God can get? I believe it's like when a man fully surrenders to him. I think that's great joy in God's heart. There's a party in heaven over one sinner that what? Repents. When one person turns around and says, you know what, Amy? You know what, Jim? You know what, Michael? I want to receive this Jesus that you've told me about. There's a great party. It's not only in the big crusades when thousands of souls are reaped. This is an everyday encounter that all of us are invited into. It can be in a coffee shop. In fact, last night the guys were laughing because we were, we were having some dinner. These guys were in one restaurant. We ended up going to a different one. And we were using Google Translate to communicate the gospel to this waiter. And you know what? He spoke for how long? Probably about 20 minutes. And we're back and forth on Google Translate, giving him the gospel, giving him the full counsel, telling him that God loves him, that there's this rope called hope and that he can have eternal life through Jesus Christ. And you know what he said? Can you pray for my family? This is what he said. I was so amazed on Google Translate. First time I've ever used it. He said this. He says, I know about the Bible, but I've never internalized it. I thought, wow, what a beautiful, what beautiful opportunity. You know, I'm going back and I'm like, wow, I just spoke to someone who'd never internalized the truth of God's word before. God was throwing out a rope called hope, and he just needed someone to tell this guy about it. It's really, it's really easy when we just have courage, when we just step out. Let's flick on. Are you all getting something out of this? Good. 
This is it. Know and deliver the ABC. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved. Why is it in churches, and I know that none of your churches are like this, but why is it in churches that we have this thing called the gospel service and then we have our other services? See, I've never understood that because... I'm still trying to work out the gospel and I think I will be for the rest of my life because I'm proclaiming the gospel to myself because it's the gospel that changes us, right? And that includes the full counsel of God, doesn't it? So why do we do this thing where we say, oh, let's have the gospel service and then the problem is with the gospel service, only the faithful few turn up and there's rarely any non-Christians there. Why don't we just make our services so contagious that non-Christians want to attend? Why don't we, why don't we kind of like maneuver the forums around a bit so that the XYZ happens maybe more in settings like this or maybe in more like teaching sessions, but then the, the ABC, I'm just throwing this out there, maybe this isn't for you, but, but I can tell you this works for us. And we do go deep in teaching, but, but we always throw out the ABC. And you know what I've found? There's some, there's some people, we once had this kind of vicar who turned up with his collar on during, during the outpouring we had. And he sat at the back and I threw out the rope of hope. Gave people a chance to respond and he came forward and he said, I've been in ministry for 17 years. Pastor in a church, but I'm now receiving Christ into my life. Don't neglect the ABC, guys. I, forgot what, I forget what old-time preacher it is. Someone will be able to tell me. But he was preaching in his pulpit and his heart was strangely warmed. Wesley? Wesley. His heart was strangely warmed as he gained that truth that all of us need. Know and deliver the ABC. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved. The only reason me and you are saved is because of the gospel. Do I need to make any more of a case that this should be preached every week from our pulpits? The gospel. And not just from our pulpits, because this is just a pulpit that we occupy maybe for 30 minutes a week. Maybe we're in a house church, maybe we're in a small group, maybe we've just moved to Spain and we don't even have a pulpit yet. Well, let me tell you, every single one of us every day has a microphone in our hand and a loudspeaker. The loudspeaker is our actions... And the microphone is the words that we speak. It's who we proclaim truth to. It can be at the school gate. It can be in a Tesco's van, driving. It could be in the custody suite. It could be anywhere. It could be in so many places, but we all stand in this place between the living and the dead. There's life within us. We've experienced the joy of the inside. I like to think of the time when I was on a park bench, the, the freezing cold temperatures, the lack of warm clothing, the lack of a roof over my head. I call that the outside. Then I think of myself in church, excited, happy, content. It's the inside. And then I think of everyone out there in the world, they're, they're on the outside. And to be honest, they don't care too much for all of the stuff that we tend to care about. Do you know what I mean? Like what color the carpet should be, or how big the building should be, or whether we should have the prayer meeting on a Tuesday or a Wednesday night. Who cares? Just have a prayer meeting. There are lost people burning and dying, and, and actually we get hung up on so many things, and, and whether she should wear that, or whether he should be accepted into... I know none of your churches are like this. It might just be our church. But, but we have these kind of people in church who get so internalized. They're so focused on the inside. They so forget where they've come from because they've been in church for a while that they forget that this thing is about the saving of souls of men and women. God's primary purpose for the church is to bring glory to him and to reach a lost and dying world that without a visible expression of his kingdom is going to be lost for all eternity. We've got to know and deliver the ABC. You know, I've spoke to Christians who cannot explain what the gospel is. Isn't that sad? 
You say, what's the gospel? Don't know. But you've been in church for 16 years. Don't know. This is the truth, guys. I believe the reason why we're not seeing a mass harvest of souls, prayer's important, but I tell you there's some really faithful churches that are praying every single day for souls to get saved and they're still not seeing souls saved. Why is that? I think it's because we've neglected the ABC. We've forgotten how to communicate with those out there. Because the things that we need to know and we care about aren't nearly as important to someone out there on a park bench who just needs a warm coat for the night and a bit of love and a bit of hope. It's not that those things aren't important. They are important, but they've got to be in the proper place. Do you understand what I mean? You may disagree with me. That's okay. If you do, I really do pray that you'll still see souls saved. I'm just trying to say and give some help from our experience. For I delivered to you first of all, he says, that which I also received. This is something that Paul had received himself. He had received this gospel. He had received this good news. And the first thing he did, first of all, that which I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. He died, he was buried, and he rose again. What happens at baptism? All that. Why is it so significant in the early church that that Philip is there with that African eunuch? You remember that story? What hinders me to be baptized? And he unpacks this life-changing truth about the life, the burial and the death of resurre- and resurrection of Jesus. This is a rhetorical question, but when was the last time that we actually explained this succinctly and simply in our churches? When was the last time that we just stood up and said, 2,000 years ago, 2,000 miles away, or however you put it, Jesus Christ came and he lived a perfect life. He lived a life that none of us could ever live so that we could live the life that we never should have lived. He died a death that we should have died so that we could continue to live for all eternity in the presence of God forever. He was resurrected so that our spirit could come alive. It was dead, but now it comes to life. And one day we're going to go through a veil of death, but it is just a veil. Because eternity starts today. It doesn't start somewhere in the future. The point of decision is today. Week in, week out, we do that in our church. And we see people saved. We see people make decisions. We see non-Christians become Christians. We see people filled with faith. People come and they say, I bring my friends here because I know they're going to get the gospel and they get saved and then I take them back to my own church. Genuinely, this happens. It's ridiculous, I know. But think about that for a minute. So they, they, they pick the person up, they bring them to our church, they get saved and then they take them back to their church. Every church should just preach the gospel. <laughs> You know, I know I'm, you know, I'm not the most eloquent, I get it, but it's just real. Salvation is real. Luke 19.10 says this, The Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Seek and to save. I just want to say a little bit about this seeking. Jesus came to seek, and of course there's the the parables, isn't there, of the lost son, the lost sheep, and the lost coin. And, you know, the lost son is the father's out there waiting for him to return. And the lost coin is hidden and they're there with the torch trying to find the coin. And there's the lost sheep. The sheep's just eating grass. I, l- I like to think of that as the person that's lost in religion. They're lost. They're just eating grass. They're just getting on with the X, Y, Z of church. They're just busy. Their head's down. They're just eating grass and they get lost because they wander off. And they forget that simple truth that's led us all to this beautiful salvation and that is our joy. Jesus said we'd be filled 
with joy. Have you lost your joy? I know you haven't because I've been with you for a couple of days. <laughs> but maybe many in your context have. Salvation keeps the joy flowing. Keeps the joy levels high when we remember where we've come from. I like to think of the, of the son as like the, the broken one, the derelict one, and he's just gone and spoiled everything, hasn't he? Yet the father welcomes him home. Shouldn't we be churches that just welcome people home? I love that thought, just welcome home. We have a sign in our church. As soon as you walk through the foyer, open the doors to the main hall, there's this big sign that says, welcome home. Welcome home. Because we want to welcome people home. We want to see them connected with their God-given destiny as children of God. So how do we cultivate this kind of culture? Just flick on to the next one. We've got to throw the rope of hope. Seek the lost. Don't you love that God loves to seek the lost? Do you ever go out and think, I want to find some lost people? I do. And I think if we could just ask God to give us that that burning desire, and I know everyone is wired differently, aren't they? Some of you are so pastorally gifted, it's incredible. Some of you are so apostolically gifted, it's mind-blowing. Some of you got such a gift of prophecy. But all of that exists to welcome people home. Because in the end, it's not going to be the gift of prophecy or the gift of tongues or any of that that's celebrated. It's going to be a joyous occasion when people are welcomed into the presence of God forever. Everything flows out of this thing called salvation. We need to celebrate starters. Have you ever met those generally, got to be careful here, generally, there's loads of young people here, so I'm okay, generally older Christians, and they say things like this to young people who are on fire. Well, the church will soon sort that out. You'll soon calm down a bit, my boy. The fire will go down a bit, you know. You know when someone starts and they're so on fire? I remember walking into the Hope Center one day and there's this guy called Neil and Neil was just, the first church service I ever took Neil to was this guy and he preached for two and a half hours. And Neil had been at the Hope Center for one day. He was coming off heroin. He was coming off all sorts of different stuff in his body. He was on methadone. And he sat there for two and a half hours listening to this guy speak about Israel and end times. And I was just like, oh my goodness, this guy is gone. And the next morning, I went over to the Hope Center after dropping him off and trying to reassure him, church isn't always like that, you know. And, and, uh, and, and I said to him, Neil, would you please stay the course? I promise you it's not always like that. Anyway, Neil now is on Friday night. He's going to graduate the, the program that we run, the discipleship program we run for addicts. He's, uh, he's just looking amazingly well. He's doing incredibly well. He loves Jesus with all of his heart. He talks about Jesus to anyone he meets. He tells his daughter, who's 16, about the great things that Jesus has done in his life, how, how he tried every program out there, how he tried every drug counselor out there that he knew, and he just couldn't get any help, and he couldn't get any support. And then this guy called Jesus broke into his life, and now he tells everyone that he wants to be a drugs counselor. And you say, why do you want to be a drugs counselor? And he says, because Jesus has broken into my life and I just want to give something back I want to I want to do something more than a textbook I want to I want to bring this life to other people and I'm like Neil you got it man but you know what on that first day when he got saved and his eyes lit up I remember it and he suddenly met this guy called Jesus and then you know what happens people get involved Don't run before you can walk. Slow down a little bit. And I understand all that. It's important. But let's not knock the fire out of people. 
Let's find ways of channeling the fire and keeping that enthusiasm of what it was like when I was a first Christian. First a Christian. You know, I always pray before I get on the pulpit, Lord, let me have the joy that's so infectious that you gave me in that prison cell. That life that came into me. I never want to lose that. Lord, would you keep that joy? Would you, would you let people see that, that reality of salvation in my eyes? Because I remember that first moment. I remember what went and I remember what came in. I remember how dark it was and I remember how glorious his light is. And every day I say, Lord, would you give me more of that and less of that? Because I lived there for too long. I wasted too much time there. And the urgency comes when we say, I don't want you to reach 21 and still not be saved. You can be five years old and on fire for God. We should give everyone a chance to start. And we should celebrate starts. And I know the Bible says, some of you are thinking, but it says to stay till the end and he who finishes. I get all that. But they've got to start somewhere. Why can't it be in your church? Why can't it be with you over a coffee that they start that journey? Putting a challenge out there to our church. We just launched a new vision for the church to gather, grow, and serve our world. And we've got this, this kind of focus we're trying to, because we keep getting people saved, but we had like a thousand decisions for Christ in the last three years. But our church is still like 300 over all the camp- campus is strong. And the Lord began to speak to us and said, we want you to keep more. So we've got this amazing guy called Sherrod and this amazing guy called Alan Jeffries. And they're just pastoral and they teach and they do all the things that I can't do. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? And it's amazing because God's just building this body of people, these men and women that are just coming together and saying, we don't only want to get a catch, but we want to keep a catch. We want to see them grow. We want to see them nurtured. So our vision now is to see a thousand spirit-filled followers of Jesus Live courageously, love intentionally, give generously. And we want to we scatter those disciples all over Wales and the UK <laughs> because we don't want to put a number on salvation. Can you imagine what a thousand spirit-filled followers could do in a nation? I mean like mature followers of Jesus who just lived out their faith. Untold numbers would get saved. Untold numbers would be introduced and would start their journey with God. Celebrate starters. Next one, please. Don't let the X, Y, Z get in the way of the A, B, C. And this, I've kind of touched on it already, but the X, Y, Z is so important, isn't it? We need to study to show ourselves approved. We need to be like the Bereans who search the scriptures. We need to grow in faith and grow in understanding because knowledge is is a great thing, isn't it? And actually, we need to spend hours and hours in the presence of God. Yes, we do. Absolutely. 100%. None of what I'm saying is counteracting that. I'm certainly not saying that we we give a microwave gospel that that doesn't have the, the kind of depth that we need it to have. But what I am saying is that Let's not get people so lost in what they don't understand that they never get a chance to start the journey. Because everyone starts somewhere. You know, for me, I was just starting in that prison cell and it really didn't matter whether there was a rapture or whether like this or that about the end times or, you know, whether, I don't know, women should be in ministry or whether all these different things, that, none of that stuff kind of mattered at that point. All that mattered is that I was lost and burning and going to hell and my life was a mess and somehow I needed to get this gospel and understand it and, and it was just a revelation of the Holy Spirit. I didn't get saved reading the book of Ezekiel and knowing all about the wheels. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I got saved reading the book of Psalms about a man who was in a pit in the miry clay. And I thought, God, I'm there. I'm stuck. If you can give him a new song, then maybe you can give me a new song. If you can change his life, then maybe you can change my life. Lord, would you forgive my sin? Would you give me the hope that this guy had on the pages of this book? 
And he did. Because hope has a rope. It gives you and I the privilege of helping other people to grab a hold of the rope. Every single person that you meet in your world, and this is where I finish, every single human being, everyone in this hotel, everyone that we're going to walk past and go into town, every single human being is already on a journey with God. They just maybe don't know it yet. And they need someone to interrupt and to give them a message that carries the power to transform their life. God bless you. Let's stand.